0: There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia swathed through its hottest
1: spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent.
2: the rate that's a great concern. Uh, what do so, you think so. that rate does to you? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic, a podcast on the Climactic Collective, a group of independent podcasters from across the range of the climate communities of Australia and New Zealand. Every week on Climactic, rain or shine, we either produce or feature an episode of a climate-engaged podcast. This could be from one of the shows on the Climactic Collective or beyond, and you'll always find a link to the show we're featuring at the top of the show notes. My name is Mark, and I'm the publisher of the Climactic Collective and of this show, and if you ever have any questions, I'm always reachable at hello at climactic.fm. I'm in Tamaki Makoro, Auckland, New Zealand, Aotearoa, and I pay my respects to the iwi of Tamaki Makoro, and acknowledge their shared sovereignty over this land as enshrined in Tziruti, the Treaty of Waitangi. Hello and welcome to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, and if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, congratulations, you made it. You're in 2022. I hope the weather's fine over there. I hope the water's warm. I hope everything is going swimmingly. As I record this, it's December 24th, Christmas Eve, and if you didn't already catch part one, this is a two-part episode. Today is the second part. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode released on Christmas Day, well, you've got a present waiting for you still under the tree. Go back and get it. Listen to that one first, and then you'll know what is happening in this episode. Uh, It is a panel from Nonfiction Now, which is an amazing conference, of academics and documentarians working people in the nonfiction storytelling space. Myself and four other podcasters got together to do this panel about how we use podcasting to talk about climate, and goes into a bit of our backgrounds and thought processes, ways we use sound and audio. So I hope you enjoyed this. This second part is a lot more of our roundtable discussion rather than the sort of intros and the individual interviews from the first part. So enjoy, and if this does inspire you to get involved in climate-engaged audio storytelling in any way, please just let me know. Or if you want to contact any of the other panelists, just drop me a line at hello at climactic.fm. Also, in the show notes is a link to watch this as a YouTube video, if that's more your speed. All right, look forward to big things in 2022, or 20 tick two, and I'll see you again soon. Cheers!
3: us in one way or another do an acknowledgement of country at the start of our episodes and I'm interested to talk about that because I feel like that's kind of it's grown in the last four or five years really this how common it is that people would do an acknowledgement of country at the start of an event or an episode of something so um, and I think that that's something that's pretty specific to Australia maybe New Zealand and maybe it's growing around the world but I know that it's become quite common in Australia, that we do an acknowledgement of country, which is basically acknowledging that we're living on and producing our programs from stolen land and Aboriginal land, and that there was no treaty. Sovereignty was never ceded. So generally, when people do an acknowledgement of country, they're just saying, "Um, I give thanks and acknowledge that this country originally belonged to these specific Aboriginal people. And if you know the name of that country, you'll give that name. And Often, if you're really sort of like feeling it, you might give thanks for how the Indigenous people cared for the country before white people came and or European colonisers came and took over. I would start my show with, uh, I acknowledge that I'm on Jara country, home of the Dja, Dja people who've lived here for tens of thousands of years, and I thank them for the care they've taken of country. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. And... Sometimes I link that into what's happening in the episode as well, so thematically. Um, But I thought it would be really nice to, A, acknowledge where each of us is talking from for this session and also give that context for people watching who might not know why we do this. (laughs) So do you guys want to go around and acknowledge the country that you're on right now and, and maybe what's going on? I am on Gadigal country,
0: so the, the Gadigal, Gadigal means grass people, so you don't necessarily need to say Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, it's Gadigal of the Eora Nation, um, and that's uh, where Sydney is in Australia. Um, that is uh, a lot of the kind of CBD area
2: and a bit of the surrounds.
4: I'm on Gadigal-Wangal land, which is the inner west, just a little bit further west from where Ash is in Sydney.
2: And how would you acknowledge that at the sort of your show.
0: We gave an acknowledgement of country when uh Jess was in the mountains, so she acknowledged the people there. Uh and I was here, but um we also wanted to acknowledge uh Ab- Aboriginal people all throughout Australia um and throughout basically deep time um for what they've done in Australia their legacy of sustainability and caring for country that has really like built up what Australia is today and and maintained such a an amazing ecology without which it would be impossible to to see what you you see here in Australia you know
2: mm. awesome. big, old big old rock um, <laughs> I've just moved home back to uh, Tamaki Makoto uh, Auckland Aotearoa New Zealand and um it's definitely not as prevalent here yet at all as uh, the acknowledgements of the country as they were in in Australia. Granted in the last few months, I've been able to go to as many live events. Um, So there may be (laughs) more than I've seen, but um, how I like to start my shows now is to say that I acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Iwi, the peoples, the the tribes of the, the, the Iwi of Tamaki Makoto, this area of Auckland and that their sovereignty of this land is not only was it not ceded their sovereignty was enshrined in charity the treaty of waitangi the founding document of new zealand and that in fact their sovereignty of this land is enshrined in our law and needs to be considered at every opportunity going forward in order to return to a sustainable way of living yeah. and it feels good saying it you get i get kind of this goosebumpy feeling of as you said ash of deep time and it's I think it's so cool to kind of normalize that feeling where you might see something like that it's sort of a documentary but how often do people watch documentaries whereas they might listen to a podcast every day or or a few times a week and if that becomes a super normal thing to hear that's awesome i think
4: um yeah i i'm as i was saying i'm on gadigal land just a little further west of um where ash is in sydney but i'm from a white settler family about five generations in australia and growing up in australia when i was which is recent very recently so much of this history is invisible and to be able to hear and and see examples in new zealand where it is it is far less visible and i think little bit by little bit there is a bit more visibility happening but it just needs to be permeated through through all aspects of our our life and be uncovering these the language and names and ways of living and, and names of country which uh, very unfortunately, in Australia, is has just been done quite poorly. Mm. To say the mm. least.
0: Yeah, totally. And all yeah. of our podcasts are concerned with the environment, and so you know it it makes sense that um, of all kinds of topics that podcasts would cover, that we would be acknowledging the people from whom the land was stolen. Um, yeah, and yeah.
3: And And who lived here sustainably for tens of thousands exactly. of years? You know, they lived here with I mean, there's lots of interpretations of that. but And Tessa, you're actually not in Australia right now. No, <laughs> Tell I'm us not. where you are.
1: Yeah. Um, so I at the moment I'm in Hawaii, I'm in on the island of Oahu, um, which is, as everyone knows, part of the United States of America. Um, but the Hawaiian Islands are quite similar to Australia with their history of colonisation, um, and the Indigenous peoples here face, um, still continue to face a lot of, um, yeah, roadblocks, I suppose, or hurdles in terms of um, language being used, um, which is very similar to what's happening in Australia with names of countries and language being actually made illegal from the schools. Um, so, but I haven't. I'm not sure if uh, acknowledgements happen here. That's I haven't um, I haven't seen one, but I've had been to a few blessings, which have been nice. But I will say mahalo to the aina, which is land, and to the moana, which is the ocean, here in Hawaii, and give my thanks to the beautiful Hawaiians that I've met so far um, on my time here. I'm here for work and they've, yeah, they've really incorporated me into the aloha spirit of Hawaii and they're just such beautiful people. Um, and with my podcast back in Sydney, uh, I pay my respects to the Gadigal and the Bijigal people, which is along the coastline of the Sydney area. Um, and yeah, I agree with you guys. It's of utmost importance to acknowledge the history of Australia and the the Aboriginal people who have literally kept the environment um, so happy and healthy up until the point of colonisation. So you wouldn't, yeah, have a a conversation about the environment and not uh, acknowledge and involve them. So
3: I also really, um, just before we wrap this build up, I really see us Westerners with our European cultural heritage If we could understand and start to become in tune with some of those Indigenous perspectives on how to live with land, I think that's actually our way forward. It's not just backwards looking, it's forwards looking to acknowledge Indigenous worldviews. Yeah, important not to treat
0: uh, Aboriginality as an historical fact. Yeah. It is a a contemporary reality.
2: So to start us off, I want to pose this question to the four of you. Um, and that is, as climate-engaged podcasters, how we think about this medium we work with, of, of podcasting in particular, of sound, and with trying to get our audiences into the headspace where they can think about the natural world and, and engaging with it, and in the face of you know a, a specifically nature-interfaced topic of climate change, um, how do you approach using natural sounds in your podcast? Is it something you you seek to do, you want to do more of, you're happy with how much you do? How do you think about that, that topic?
3: Shall I jump in? Yes, or you... those beautiful bird sounds that come out of your podcast. <laughs> um, well, I really appreciated the conversation, Mark, when you and Tessa were talking about that in the intro to Tessa's show. And I was thinking about how I hadn't really been conscious of introducing it but I had just instinctively included natural sounds in my show right from the start and hearing you talk about it really helps solidify why I do that but I actually did it kind of unconsciously and I do go and collect samples of sound if I'm interviewing a person and it's on a particular topic I will try and catch atmospheric sound and My home studio is like, I've got the garden right next door. So often when I'm recording, there's just birds in the background anyway. (laughs) But um, yeah, so for me so far, it's been kind of incidental. But my intro, the the music that I play underneath the intro to every episode has, my partner actually put it together and he is an ecologist and he loves nature in all its forms. So he went out and captured some beautiful bird sample sounds and then put it together with some mellow music and that just lays the groundwork for every episode and creates kind of a, a mood which I really appreciate. But yeah, I think it's, it's nice to think about bringing nature into such a tech kind of thing and you don't know where anyone's going to be listening to you from. They could be on a train in New York City underground or they could be, you know, somewhere else. But and especially as Australians and New Zealanders, I think a lot of our audience like we we might get more people listening from elsewhere in the world, and that the bird sound or whatever context of this place is actually kind of beautiful and new, unique for them to listen to as well. Yeah. Did you guys put anything um, heaps better? Was it? Was was there- I'm think- honestly thinking of the dolphin sound. <laughs>
4: oh yeah, it was a sound effect.
3: You know, I think. But She's what's
4: like, it's definitely not a natural dolphin but but I think we I mean sound and field recordings and sound design in a podcast really is is there to give you a sense of place and so I think when you hear your conversations Ali with people when you when you can hear the like you can hear the countryside or the garden or the or the birds outside the chickens you get that yeah you're, you're immediately there and you get a sense of place of where you are you know talking with somebody about soil and you can almost feel the soil at your feet, you know. And Ash and I, we didn't. I'm trying to think of actual field recordings we had, but what we did have was a lot of um, recordings of the places that we were in, um, which would it were, you know, touring around Greenpeace's warehouse, or in a in a cafe together with like you know cutlery and, and banging noises around doing a power map. And so the way that we used, or or it was that sound design, you know, it was a, a dolphin and a you know floaties when we were in the in the water struggling with what to do about climate action you know it was, which is a very a, a pretty silly but what those sounds do is is give you a sense of a sense of place and so i think for the the things like the cafe or being in the greenpeace warehouse or the things where it was us more us i'm thinking walking to the greenpeace warehouse just being idiots going oh gosh what are we going to talk about what are we going to do you know ash going i feel like i feel like i'm illegally blonde and i'm just about to knock on the door and i think it's those things which make which make you as you're listening feel like I'm there with these people, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the garden with the birds and talking about soil or I'm in this cafe with my mates going like, all right, let's like break this down. How, how can we figure out where we, where we're at and what we can do? Um, Or the sound design element is just a bit more like something to give you a bit of a smile. And yes, maybe you do imagine that you're struggling in the water with Ash and I and floaties looking like dorks (laughs) trying not to ask for help from the,
0: climate action
4: lifeguards. Yeah, watching Um, the mountains
0: of coal be just, you know, carried past mm. on giant coal ships, Yeah, you know. Like to create vistas, um, it's helpful for us in what we're doing to get a sense of scale, of scale of the problem um, and, you know, what people are up against and the fact that people are going up against this stuff anyway. So like in this example that we're using with the coal ships is like, this amazing uh, guy from Fiji oh, was Samoa, Fiji, Fiji, um, Fenton Lutonatabua, and he is basically like dangling um, and watching, watching all of this happen, and he's he's standing up to it, you know. And so you can kind of put people in the shoes of an activist who is doing something really incredible, um, and you know, rather than than simply just talk, just create a visual. And then you can say whatever you want, but people people have um, experienced something different for a moment. And I think that, you know, it's it's so much more, much more powerful in terms of our podcast having so many parts to each episode because we wanted to cover a lot. And so we're going from an interview with one person to an interview with another person to a chat between Jess and I and trying to figure out what we're going to do next. So going on a journey, it really helps to have a locality to that journey and to have uh, scene changes And that helped us to achieve a kind of scene change. And then if you were then to listen to the podcast and reflect back on it, you might remember the places that you've been, and that can help you to solidify some of that information. So I think it actually helps listeners to have uh, been somewhere, you know, in the same way that I don't think I'm ever going to forget your episode allison with the soil scientists because i'm seeing you guys next to the chicken chicken coop and i can literally tell you the landscape there's a chicken coop here and then there's the soil <laughs> tailings over here and you know like there's a directionality to all of this you have yeah. to
4: imagine it it's like a, it's like being in a dream it connects to it connects to imagination which i think exactly what you said helps helps listeners put themselves in in the shoes of 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 these stories that we're telling or the information that they're
3: learning. It's interesting in terms of uh, non-fiction because I think a lot of what people um, at non-fiction now, they're they're writers. And so this is the layer that podcasting can add. And Ash, as a filmmaker, the next layer is obviously the visuals. So podcasting sits somewhere between the written word and filmmaking, which means that we can be really evocative with sound. Um, And then we don't have to use as many words because the sound's there, you know.
1: I, well, I mean, my podcast actually doesn't have any sounds except for my very high energy jazzy intro. And then it's just straight into It's so me. good.
3: And I love
0: Shadding. how fast it cuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like,
1: done. Now we're on. Um, I mean, that was just because, you know, the first podcast that was the, it is the first podcast I've ever made and I'm not a podcaster, I'm an actress and I'm, An environmentalist but I'm not like I have zero technical skills um so yes that was just the how it happened it's just what ended up being um but the use of sound I enjoy thoroughly in every other podcast that I listen to and it's definitely something that I'm inspired by um listening to all of your podcasts and hearing the way the different ways you use sound Ali the beautiful birds and and the kind of nature sounds and then Ash and Jess I feel like I sat at the table with the CEO of Greenpeace and his kids I imagined that and you it was during COVID and you said you had the COVID screen and like there was all of the kind of hustle and bustle of like a family kitchen table and I and I just I felt like I was there I feel like I'm part of their family now in some kind of weird capacity um so yeah it evokes so much and it's so it's so clever and it's something that for me as a first-time podcast maker I didn't think about because I didn't have the skills and I was only recording via Zoom so I didn't you know go outside and record anything um, but it's something that I'm so excited to work with moving into season two of The Nature Between Us because I can see now how much it gives um, to the listener through the narrative mm. and place and like you said it brings emotion in and and that makes you kind of connect to it more.
4: Tessa, and there's another There's another side of the sound which is your voice and you as a regular host um, and a personality that we get to know when when you listen to a podcast like yours and it's you know you very intimately got you know your voice coming into our ears and podcasting is a very one-on-one intimate format and when it is a podcast like yours the sound of your voice is the thing that we become really familiar with and we get to know you and we also get to know you as not somebody who's um, and the same, you know, Alison, I think the same a lot of us, who's not somebody who's working within the environmental climate movement but who's an actress, um, you know, yeah. doing – you've got your day job, which is in a completely different thing, and you're interviewing and connecting with all these people who might be performance artists or they might be bakers, um, you know, all these different people who are in their own realms, their own ways, doing something and connecting in and doing it in their own way. And I think that's um, – that's a really important part of the sound because you get the intimacy of those human voices and you can connect to like, even if it's the imagination of, oh yeah, that's like my local baker or my mate who's a nurse or a um, or an actress as well. So I think, what do you think about the importance of citizen journalists or of, of people who aren't are sitting outside of the um, environment or journalist or media sector and, and people like us who are connecting with and asking these stories and not pretending to be any kind of professional (laughs) the way that ash and i were very clearly playing the fool but um to be having these these conversations and being really everyday about it
1: i think it's i think it's really interesting personally because it kind of feels like you are getting a little look behind the curtain in a way um certain podcasts that are a bit more i i had a friend um who told me that his podcast they don't cut out all of the kind of Rump, like all the kind of mishaps, and and the someone's goes off topic, or like, oh, someone walks into the room, and la la la. And I thought that was interesting. And he was explaining that it was because the the listeners actually, you know, their podcast has been going for a long time, and I'm probably getting off track here, but basically, it made the listeners feel like they were getting a look behind the curtain. So it was less of a polished, here's our presented podcast on a platter, everything's been polished, like everything else you kind of consume on media and more of a like warts and all, like this is us just like, you know, it's a, it's as if like Jess and Ash um, in, in Heaps Better, it's as if you're sitting at the kitchen table and, and, you, and you're eavesdropping on like really interesting people having a conversation. But to go back to your question, I think it's wonderful that we have the capacity, someone like me who's got absolutely zero background in making a podcast, I somehow – Managed to make one. Um, so that literally means anyone can make a podcast and go out there and put it in the world. Um, and hopefully someone will listen to it and go along the journey with you because um, having the humility, like you guys said, to play the fool, uh, I think is really brave <laughs> to be like, I don't know what this means. You know, I'm going to ask the question and I'm going to um, publicize that and, and publicly say, I'm confused about this facet of climate change, or I don't really understand what fracking means or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Um, So yeah, it's pretty exciting that we have these platforms um, that are so accessible and technology is so easy now.
3: Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? I think um, it is sort of accessible to everyone, but then it becomes... Like there's so many voices. You get people – it's sort of like that bubble where you get to listen to people whose ideas are the same as yours. And and, like I'm not trained as a journalist and I don't think any of you are professionally journalists, but we have just come in and followed our interests, which is wonderful. But at the same time, no one's fact-checking us or the people we're talking to. And I find that a really interesting dynamic because there are podcasts out there that have completely different points of view and millions of listeners. And you see this with the alt-right and the sort of spirituality movements and all this sort of stuff. They get so many listeners and they're often linked to businesses that they're making money by selling courses or whatever. So podcasting can be used for good and evil. (laughs) And I guess as, um, as citizen journalists, I think the other side of that is that we often feel so stymied by like the Murdoch media and who has power over what gets told to people. And podcasting is really liberating in that way. You can, you have your own platform. No one's going to tell you what to put out there. So it's sort of, it goes both ways. And I I wonder, Mark, if you've got an opinion because you've done a lot of listening to political podcasting and news in general. Like what, what do you think about this, this sort of balance?
2: The, Multitude of voices, yeah, the the sheer number of perspectives that you can find through podcasting is great. So you can find in the politics realm, you find, you know, I'm going to pick a name out of my hat. Dominic Raub was like the UK's um, financial you know, economic secretary, whatever the the term is for the UK a few years ago. And I, I would have listened to maybe 50 or 60 interviews with this guy, Dominic but he's being interviewed by such a wide variety of different hosts, all with different levels of background expertise and sort of reasons, what they're trying to get out of him. And you just, you can't help, I think, but well, like, well, that's why politicians are very good at this, right? But like, you can't help but when you're the subject of such a wide variety of questioning to kind of let slip who you really are and like, and make your best case sometimes and your worst case, other times and say things you didn't mean. And it's, it's just awesome having such a, a wide gamut and such a wide menu to choose from. And yeah, the the fact there isn't fact-checking and there isn't yet arbiters or gatekeepers in place in this space, it's interesting, it's scary, it does lead to some bad outcomes and also some good outcomes. And it's like, we've got this weird moment where at the moment, podcasting is now big enough that you don't have to explain what it is anymore to anyone But it's not big enough that there is these checks and controls in place yet. So who knows if that's going to be the case in five or ten years? Probably not. But for right now, it's powerful and uncontrolled. So that's rare in the media. And it's cool that we can all play a part in that. And we're all trying to do good. I think even people who do bad think to themselves they're trying to do good (laughs) most of the time. But I think we're all trying to do good. Um, So that's like, you know, it's an open field. So I hope people at nonfiction are now are going to take away that, you know, like it's, uh, it's here <laughs> and it's powerful. You mm. can use it.
4: I mean, I, I, ha- I have to caveat on off the back of heaps better. It's probably one of the podcasts I've done where there was some pretty rigorous fact checking. <laughs> <It really laughs> yeah. Quite a lot of rounds of yeah. getting it right. You know, putting, putting two people who were openly saying, we don't know a whole lot about this. And we're going to find out and making sure that we, out the right Banned things, the or right you know, stuff. portrayed the right <laughs> stuff. Totally. Yeah, right. We Being, had a lot wasn't...
0: of eyes across it because you know it, it wouldn't have been good for Greenpeace to have us be like, "Oh, no, no, I don't know what I'm talking about." Okay, everyone should definitely do this. This is a good thing to do, and then it's like, actually, no, that's a total freaking waste of time. <laughs> don't tell people <me laughs> to, to do that.
4: You know, it um, a
2: podcast by Jess and Ash though. It was a podcast by Greenpeace made by you two. Yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah
2: is a powerful difference. It was a, right? it
4: was a great collaboration because it allowed us to look like like we said to play the fools and to openly be be foolish while, you know, Greenpeace were our experts. We were by no means we're not Greenpeace.
0: Yeah, but it still it still felt right and I think that's kind of what I feel about citizen journalism is that um, you know, it it was citizen journalism in the in the way that we came up with a lot of the ideas of things that we wanted to to talk about and like ran those interviews and stuff like that. And so I think it just makes it feel very accessible and um, fun and the tone is right. And I think that with citizen journalism, I just go to what people can really fit into their media diet Um, and people don't want to be, you know, on the hard news all day, every day, and they don't necessarily want to be on the long form all day, every day. So we tried to think about where something like this would fit into people's media diet in order to... Mm. You know, make sure that the relevant audience would have space for it and be getting the kind of tone that they need from it and the level of entertainment and information that they could handle from it.
3: Sometimes I feel like maybe the information there was just
0: like so much, <laughs> but yeah.
3: you know climate change is all about what will happen in the future. and as much as we've got amazing science supporting lots of projections, there's, you know and and working um, at the sustainability group, I had a committee of management there who I could, sort of fact check with but actually at committee meetings they would often have really different opinions about what would be effective and what needs to happen so there is still as much as there's a lot of really well-established climate science and a lot of really well-established information about what needs to happen around climate there's also a lot of different opinions and a lot of people want to emphasize different things Mm. you know
0: it's not, and, you know, report in different ways. I mean, that's that's one of the questions yeah. that we were going to explore: is the types of climate reporting. So you've got yeah. human mm. stories, you've got solutions, problems, activism. You know, you've got so many different ways of telling these stories. So why did each of us come to our own position? And Tessa, we might start with you. So how did you come to decide on the format that you really wanted for the for the climate reporting?
1: Um, I think purely just from a place of my personal curiosity and of ease of, uh, getting it out there. Um, I don't want to say I'm an impatient person, but I do prefer like (laughs) doing something and getting it out there. Like I felt like I had some urgency. Um, and so, uh, I think for me just having a conversation, just kind of warts and all um and popping it out onto the internet and making that accessible and you know editing it in a way that it was still succinct and not waffly um and that I didn't really take up too much of the conversation it was more about you know inquiring on a specific level you know each episode there's kind of like a a theme um that you kind of trying to demystify or like understand um deeper or yeah um but I mean, like I said, I didn't. I don't come from a podcasting background, so it kind of also for me just seemed like the easiest way to get started and to get the podcast going. Um, and I love podcasts that are just long-form conversations. One of my favourite podcasts is called Water People Podcast and it's Lauren Hill and Dave Rustovich, two professional surfers who are also environmentalists, and they're just – they're calming and they're long and they kind of meander and I find it relaxing. So I think – I gravitated towards that because of my lack of editing skills and sound design skills, um, but also just because that's what I enjoy, having kind of long conversations and I enjoy listening to long conversations. I
3: think mine's quite similar to yours, Tessa. I sort of – I actually started thinking, oh, I need to make it dynamic. My first few episodes you'll hear, I've got segments, I've got like audio intros to each segment. I was going to have a recycling tip, everyone. I was going to have, you know – um action things familiar
0: this sounds very similar to what Jess and I were saying (laughs) at the beginning it's like okay cool and then we're just gonna have this segment and then this segment and then this yeah (laughs) Yeah.
3: but actually I got exhausted and I couldn't do it Mm. I I I just couldn't actually keep up with an episode a week doing all these different segments with different people and I ended up also just realizing that it made editing a lot harder it made the show kind of choppy and I think with more skill I could have done it better (laughs) um But I ended up, yeah, I think similar to you, Tessa, I just feel like there's a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety and a lot of, um, uh, it's hard to get people to listen to climate stuff anyway, because it's difficult to hear. It's difficult to think about our own lives and what, how it makes us feel that we're collectively facing a future that's out of our control. We can't be like our parents who, if you get the go to university and get the job, everything's going to be fine and you'll retire at 70. You know, we can't rely on that. And so people are already stressed out about climate and the immensity of all the things you need to consider and all the things that seem out of our control. And so I kind of wanted to do friendly, reassuring kind of episodes. But that simultaneously just helped raise people's awareness and continually just bring another thing in for people to think about week by week without it being overwhelming and without me being too strident or yelling at people or telling them they have to change their whole lives because no one's going to listen to that. Like, Some people might want to listen to it, but generally only if they're already doing that thing. And if they're not already doing that thing, they're going to go, too hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. hard. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: And I think that the way that most people choose what podcast they're going to listen to, unless they're a dedicated listener to a particular podcast is by looking at the title and seeing mm. what's it's going to be about. Maybe they might look a little bit further into the description before committing to a, a like an hour long podcast or anything like that. But the way that both of you have structured your, uh, your podcast is that people can really get a good sense of what they're going to be in for. And so, mm. you know. I'll go through periods where I'm interested in the soil carbon sponge or I'll go through periods where I'm interested in like seaweed or whatever and then you can be like oh great this is a climate engaged person you know talking to people with solutions let's see if I can find something on fungi you know
3: like yeah true
0: and that's that's kind of how I browse yeah
3: and and when people are google searching often that's how shows will show up to them. Yes. They yeah. may not they might only find us because we did that one episode. And Mark, I'm actually really interested in you because you've got a whole host of people in your network who some of them are rank beginners and some of them are a bit more established and you yourself run episodes. How do you decide your format? How do you decide have how have you seen other people navigate their shows?
2: It's, it's the sampler pack. Uh, so when, when Climactic started, it was very much a lot like Tessa's show where it was an interview show because that's where my skill level was at. And I, I knew I was kind of starting on easy mode and I was going to ladder up from there where I and I very intentionally wanted to talk to everyday folks, have chats with them, just able to be me, just curious about what they were doing and really inspired by everyday people taking action on climate change, and then edit it just enough that they sounded as good as they could. So, like, you get a, get rid of the gaps, you get rid of the indecisiveness, the moments where they don't know exactly what they're going to say. And then all of a sudden, the person who was nervous about doing an interview, and I was always so grateful to people in the early days who were like, ah, oh, because we got this thing in Australia and New Zealand, we all know of tall poppy and people are like, they can be locking on to coal ships on the weekend and they don't want to speak to you with a mic in your hand. Cause Oh, who, who are they to speak? I'm not the leader of some groups like, no, but you're the most inspiring person I know. So just talk into the mic, please. And um, I wanted them to just hear themselves as the articulate, passionate people they were and sort of get rid of any of the, the gaps or the moments where any, daily human speech we don't sound like people do on podcasts generally and I wanted to make sure it sounded like they were a person on a podcast not being interviewed on the street and just put out unedited what that became is like we we tried to do an audio magazine we tried to do a bunch of segments and it was super ambitious and it fell over after a couple months but one thing I kept to was the schedule of we release something every week just because I'm as a listener I'm a huge fan of Consistency when someone says they're weekly, by God, they better be weekly. So we've been weekly for three and a half years. <laughs> wow. That's
4: so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that
2: means it's no longer me. It's not my content, you know. Like I, I give the credit back to the people I curate. But uh, what we are in format is like, I want to listen to something that's climate engaged. Here's a feed that has something every week, and it might be from the Climactic Collective Network, which probably is going to be an interview-based show. Sometimes it's not, but it might be an episode from something else out in the world that I've gone out and said, hey, can I feature that here, please? Can I expose you to a new audience? And they'll say yes, generally, because that's how podcasting works. Um, you're not, the, the whole medium is time-shifted. You're never battling for the same slot as anybody else. point about how
3: podcasting is maybe different to other types of journalism. When I'm thinking about my listener, I really know what, switches me off from a show, from a podcast, and stops me listening. And um, I know there's this huge discussion in, or there's two sort of camps within podcasting of the super loose, real-time, whatever happens, you don't edit, you hardly edit at all. You might fix your levels a little, and then you put it out there. And that's really... Great for some formats, and then others are very tight, very well produced. Some of some podcasts have got teams of like ten people working on different elements of it, so it's vastly diverse in terms of quality and um, what the product is that comes out. And as you said, Mark, that there, there's no time like coming from a community radio background, you have your time slot. And for me, that works because I need a deadline. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I absolutely so I, need a I deadline. Need one for me because I needed one too. <laughs>
3: um, and my show still goes out on community radio, so I have that weekly deadline. Um, but I know that podcasting in general works best if you stick to a reg- regular schedule so that your listeners know, okay, on a Tuesday I can download the next episode of such and such. What do, what does podcasting offer that's unique and and an awesome accessibility.
0: Balls. I mean, you can make a podcast if you've got you know
4: three hundred bucks. You can cobble something together. Um, and I, okay, keep can I? Something together. I feel like I feel like I have to jump in as a podcast producer and say like, don't undersell yourself. Like that. That makes me nervous when you say that because I feel like you can, True. but you don't. But like, yeah, one model is just you know, uh, a dude Edit, FaceTimes another there. dude and they, they turn out. on, I just,
0: I no, no, just, no, I love, I, I, mean, I love anyway. that you're bringing this up because I think that it's very valid. It's not that you're going to make the best podcast in the world with 300 bucks. It's that you can start putting content out. And that means that you, you can do, can do just it for start, free. You can, exactly. Yeah. You can start making a proof of concept. Even if you, uh, you know, you just want to figure it out. I think, I know a lot of people who talk about making this podcast and they have this great idea and then they get intimidated by like thinking that it needs to be a certain way. And honestly, they would have already made it by now if they had just started working with what they had and, mm. and learned that way. And it would progress so much faster. You know, I mean, it's very different if you're going to something that's production heavy, it's very different. If you're going to be working with a team, it's very different if you're going to have any kind of sponsors or anything like that. But you know, a lot of people just turn on the zoom chat and they record it much like we're recording this now. Yeah.
2: There's little P and big P podcasts, and not all podcasts (laughs) are produced by people who are podcast producers. Some people are just having a chat and giving it a crack, and they can then become capital P podcast producers down the track. But yeah, like don't get so stuck by indecision. You never try anything. There's Mm. free hosting and free tools, and you're... The reason phone calls sound bad isn't the microphone in your phone anymore. They're incredible. Mm. It's your bloody telco provider. Um, (laughs) You've got all the tools you need right now. Everyone does. And,
3: yeah, yeah, give it a crack. And also, like, as we were saying before, there's no gatekeepers. You don't need to get it past an editor of a magazine to get published. You don't need to get the approval of so-and-so and and -and such-and-such. Like, you can just put things out there. And that can be good and that can be bad. Like, I think... Some people then feel completely lost about how valid they are. Like some people need the validation of an editor to say, yes, this is worthy or can you edit that grammar a bit? You know, that's helpful. But you can just put stuff out there. Like Tessa, how much experience did you have? Like had you done any audio editing before ever?
1: None. I edit uh, my self-tapes, which is like an audition that you do and you send the tape off if you can't get in the room. Um, But absolutely no audio. So, yeah, I have GarageBand on my mac as everyone does and um yeah i just watched a youtube video huh it's a good, bit of, huh? it's
0: it's so a good like, bit of kit it's honestly it's all you need it's, it's great yeah. i didn't even Especially have this road interviews. microphone
1: yeah. i just yeah. honestly i think the first the couple of interviews i did i didn't even have headphones on which now i know is like the biggest no-no in podcasting Taboo. i've got these cool big headphones because <laughs> i want to fit in but i had no experience <laughs> at all um i was purely just coming from a place of wanting to turn anxiety into action and um, I had been running some uh, documentary screening nights in Sydney with a friend and then COVID hit and that all got shut down and we couldn't congregate together and I was like, what Ah, what else can I be doing? Because that was kind of scratching the itch of, of wanting to do something, um, like Jess and Ash were saying, off the back of the fires and the anxiety that we all felt. Um, so yes, honestly, I can say this, like with full heart, if I did it, anyone can do it. It's, um, it's yeah. yeah I had no experience and you know, maybe that shows, I don't know, people probably listen to the first couple of episodes or even the whole first season and there. And it is pretty rough, but I, I find with podcasts, if I'm interested in the people who are talking and I'm interested in what they're saying, I, I really kind of, I let go of bad editing.
0: Views, like being part of a conversation, it's a nice feeling to feel like you're actually part of a conversation rather than Mm. listening to a product. And, you know, that's the feeling I get from both of your podcasts, Tessa and Alison, you know, and and even with Mark's work. If there's just a conversation happening, people understand the format of a conversation and they're not going to impose (laughs) these crazy
3: production value ideas
0: over the top of it. I mean, if people can't hear the audio, as a problem.
3: Yeah, and there's a lot of free software out there, like you can download Audacity to do your audio editing if you want to do some audio editing. And Mark, you deal with a lot of people who are really new to podcasting. What sort of advice do you give them?
2: It needs to be as good a quality as, you know, an average phone call. Uh, because, you know, think about it, you you don't like the quality of a phone call, but if you're chatting to a friend, you will stay on that phone for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours sometimes, because what you're getting out of it's worth it. And we haven't talked about sort of the parasocial nature of podcasting. Well, we've touched on a little bit how Mm. you feel like you're a member of a conversation. You're just not saying anything when it's a great Mm. podcast or you're a fly on the wall. Um, So I guess we have touched on it a bit, but uh, I'd say like, yeah, worry about quality second. Um, I just want to quickly say on Tessa's podcast, like the, the quality is absolutely there. It's very listenable. And I was Rita was becoming a bit of a podcast snob when I just realized that, oh no, there's just some sounds, sound quality and sounds, random sounds like Ash said in, in episodes that make something unlistenable. And it's okay not to listen to something you physically can't listen to without pain. That's yeah. okay. Uh, but Tessa's show is like from a complete beginner, notwithstanding, it's good. And I I was yeah. taking it on walks and listening to it just like I would taking my phone for a walk to have a chat with an old friend and mm, that, thanks, that length and that quality, that authentic character, that nature, that just straight straight into the mic quality is actually endearing and develops that that connection you have. Um, so I, I, that's why I recommend beginners. just Just try and yes, as soon as you think I can do better, please by all means do so. But... <laughs>
1: Season two, I haven't. And this is helping me with the edit, so just stay tuned. It'll be better.
3: (laughs) And there's endless information online. If you want to jump online and get some tips on editing or how to do anything to do with podcasting, there's heaps of tips online. Transom's a good place for that. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think also that thing you were talking about just then, Mark, is so true, and it's specific to podcasting. Like when you're reading a magazine or an article in the newspaper or you're reading something on your computer or you're watching a movie or the television, you're locked into place But you can take a podcast with you on a walk while you're gardening, while you're riding your bike, while you're doing the dishes. That might be a bit loud, but you know, you can, it can travel with you and you can do whatever other thing you're doing while you're listening to a podcast. So I think it's, it really can slide into your daily life in ways like while you're driving a car is an obvious example of you know, being able to consume something like a podcast while you're doing something that you really need to concentrate on. (laughs) It's so funny
0: that you say that, Alison, because I have become obsessed with listening to your podcast when I'm gardening, particularly (laughs) because it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of this vibe of like grassroots people in the community doing things, getting their hands dirty. And so I'm just like, just me and my homies chilling in the garden just planting <laughs> little seeds like this is basic manual work that I'm doing and it doesn't require that <laughs> level of bandwidth and so all that other bandwidth is taken up by this delightful conversation that I'm a part of Aww. and I feel like I feel like that meme of the kid who is sitting in front of a like a little mini billboard and there's all these girls kind of laughing to each other and he's like it's like me listening to
3: a podcast,
4: <laughs> like my friends. <laughs> like I feel but It does that way. feel that
3: way. Yeah. It does. It really does feel that way. It's
4: very true. Cause you, like we were saying before you tap into imagination and I think it gives you that mm. imagination of space and scope and who these people are and where their chickens are and, or, or what's going on in that place.
1: <laughs> While also, mm. you know,
4: I can be looking at even in lockdown, looking at my window, I'm lucky to have a, a view of some pretty beautiful trees out here. Even in the middle of the city, and or you can be, you know, looking looking at nature and connecting to nature. I think is is a really important part of um, part of that process. And a, a podcast that I've loved um, in a bit of a different space was Forest Four Hundred Four by BBC Sounds, mm. which is a really um, high production value cli-fi, climate fiction series. Cool. Um, and really interesting, they follow each fictional episode with a small soundscape. Um, natural soundscape and then also a um, non-fiction piece around how nature for example listening to natural sounds and being surrounded by natural sounds is good for our mental health but Mm. I listened to that series walking around the Botanic Gardens in Sydney and we're very lucky to have uh, you know all these beautiful public spaces even in the city but walking around um, the Botanic Gardens and, and looking at these trees that we have in the gardens and in this series, you know, there's like this one last tree from the past and, and they find recordings of bird songs and they're going like, what is, what is this sound? And that level of imagination while also walking through, moving through these spaces, I think, allows such an incredible thing to be happening, this, the sense of sound and the power of your imagination um, that
3: is very different to other formats or other mediums. How are we going for time? Like, how long are we
2: wanting to talk for?
3: (laughs) Okay, great. Well, I'm wondering if we cut to our podcast recommendations because you guys have just given some beautiful Mm. examples.
2: Thank you so much for that, Jess. We're going to pivot into talking about recommendations from each of us about what we particularly think the Nonfiction Now audience might like to delve deeper into in the nonfiction, audio, and podcasting space. And I think that particular example you just gave, Jess, is a really good one, that it is a audio fiction from BBC. It's kind of the coming again of the golden age of the radio drama. It's back with podcasting. We've got audio fiction now is a huge thing. And the nonfiction now audience might be thinking, yes, well, that's all fine. You can make up your stories. Uh, But the way that Forest 404 would use... a a fictional story and then a parrot with a, a talk and this is like a ted style talk about the underlying science or understanding that is being expressed in that fictionalized episode of a larger serial narrative it was a fantastic way to blend the two and i think actually it's a blueprint for what more nonfiction now style audio could look like in future where fiction is leveraged to better explain something that is, is nonfiction. not that fiction and nonfiction are that much of a there's not that much of a line between them anyway that might be heresy but
3: that's a comments. whole another conversation mark <laughs> don't go there totally.
2: <laughs> um podcast recommendations to to reel us fully back into the nonfiction. Uh, i want to give a shout out to a new podcast from the economist it's very dry it's very boring it's not. I don't think it is. But like, you're selling it. You're selling it's as it. nonfiction yeah. as it gets. Nothing made up here. Um, it's a show called To a Lesser Degree, and it launched just a few weeks ago. And it's literally like the Economist doing a podcast about foreign affairs or monetary theory, but it's about climate. And it's the same approach. It's the same rigor. It's the same on-the-ground reporting. But it's the Economist talking about topics like greenwash and climate finance, mm-hmm. and it's delightfully dry and pragmatic and practical and ripped from the headlines because it's talking about love today's that. News. What's that called again? What do we search for? To a lesser degree. To a lesser degree. It's We're a great title. I love,
3: I love that also because I feel like The Economist is going to reach a particular audience that we will never reach of people who read that magazine and prioritize money and finance and the economy over everything else. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, So often, politically, climate is pitted against the economy as if we can't possibly rock the economy for the sake of climate. So that The Economist is doing that is brilliant.
2: And to to drop a quote of, you know, there's an old saying that the only people who believe we can have infinite growth on a finite planet are madmen and economists. And that was a quote (laughs) raised in that recent episode of this show from The Economist while talking about the ways that, you know, maybe capitalism should be reformed. Wow. So it's happening.
0: Willing to recommend the BBC one, uh, people fixing the planet, because they, it's it's you know it's very British in style, but you know it's good because they do have some kind of on the ground reporting and some sound design. But they're, you know, giving you the, the, the facts and they're doing it in a reasonably conversational way. But once again, it's going to capture an audience that maybe slightly differs to, to maybe our immediate audiences. So it could be, you know, like my mum would probably enjoy listening to it. They're quite on the ball with getting stories as they're coming up in a in a sort of like trendy way like you know when seaweed trends or when fungi trends or you know and then finding really cool people because they with the BBC they had the ability to do that to find
3: people that might otherwise not be found I've got one um, that's come out of Africa which I heard about through the Jackson Wild Awards which is a really cool American sort of awards system for filmmaking largely but they've recently added podcasts and the winner this year of their inaugural podcasting awards was called Guardians of the River and so I had a listen and it is what I think podcasting can really be in terms of really well-crafted narrative, people's voices and storylines interweaving and the sounds of the jungle and the sounds of a busy um, city in, you know, Africa, Botswana, um, wherever they're located and – because they sort of move around the Okavango Delta region, so it's quite – it's a huge region of Africa. And the voices and the stories are really diverse and they sort of have a theme. It's like a really crafted – really well-crafted TV – Series where every episode is its own storyline. So one episode is looking at elephants and one episode is looking at, like, the wetlands. It's it's a beautifully crafted, if you want a really nicely crafted one, which also takes you outside of, for me, any experience. I've never been to Africa. You hear a lot about Africa, but I've, it, it gives you the nitty-gritty of some of the politics and the voices and the people mm-hmm. and the dynamics of what it is. And then it throws in these gorgeous details, like the entire delta is rich and fertile because of termites and I love that fact (laughs) so termites over millions of years have eaten little tunnels through all the mud of the river delta and that allows the silt to come in and the water to flow under the earth and that allows for this intense rich beautifully fertile region and I just love that, like these tiny little details as well as this bigger story that's human and natural and everything. So, yeah, highly recommend that. That's called Guardians of the River.
1: It's a, it's a podcast called Water People, Water People Podcast or Water. There's some, there's a, there's a well, initially it's, the podcast is called Water People Podcast, but then there is a sub-podcast called Watershed Chats. Um, and uh, it's not specifically about climate but it's about ocean and water and people that connect with water. So um, it's hosted by two surfers, Dave Rustovich and Lauren Hill. Um, so there is a lot of surfers. I'm a surfer, so I connect with that on like a personal level. But I find that these conversations that um, that they're having with all of their guests, it's kind of long form, ultimately end up tapping into environmental issues. And, you know, there is kind of the converse, the larger conversation of climate change that – is there, but it's not so on the nose, um, which is one of the reasons I really enjoy the pod because it's quite, yeah, I guess it's quite relaxing in a way because you're hearing about dolphins and you're hearing about, you know, all these kind of like very relaxing, like interesting um, stories or, or anecdotes or um, or facts. You know, a lot of scientists and and um, really clever people are on the pod, um, so that's my that's my recommendation. But the watershed chats. Um, are a little bit more science
2: focused uh so they're great as well yeah i understand we've got as a final recommendation to go full circle back to jess
4: yes also mark
2: you can edit this out for time if you wanted to stick to bbc sounds
4: the last podcast that i want to recommend is fairly recent it came out mid-october 2021 this year um and it's a three-parter on the guardians podcast called Full Story. The series is called An Impossible Choice and it's um, voices and stories from families and communities in the Pacific looking at how climate change is literally on their changing their way of life in their villages and their homes um, and the, the very human aspects of climate change and climate justice.
2: I want to thank you all so much for your time on this panel. It's been great. Uh, from Allison and I, the great privilege of of asking the three of you to come along. You've all said yes, and that's just great. And It's been so much fun doing this over the last couple months. Um, it's a shame we can't all be in Wellington together to present this and take part in the rest of the Nonfiction out community, but I'm sure that the audience of this, uh, if they have any questions about podcasting and audio and especially you know for climate engagement, um, all our details will be findable in the wherever they're watching this video, as well as our podcast and everything. But I just want to thank you all so much. And thank you so much for having light. us.
0: Yeah. Thank you for having <laughs> us. This has been so nice. Yeah,
3: it's just it's so nice. Definitely. to. I feel
0: like, I don't know. This is how I feel when I listen to your podcast I'm just like, Oh my God, these are my people. Yay. Yeah,
3: I know. It's really <laughs> nice. It's feeling. been great. Yeah, it's, it's been, been nice be for me to, to connect with other listening. podcasters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, thanks everyone. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Ali. Nice to, Thank nice you. to be a part of it. Thanks for involving me, a newbie.
0: Now you're you're not a newbie anymore. You're a professional.
2: Oh you're really? I, I got um, a
0: big pay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Run with it. <laughs> <laughs> if you
2: you know publish an entire season of your podcast with no previous audio experience, you too can join a panel for nonfiction now. Oh, incredible. incredible. <laughs>